Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to talk about their journey, dealing with the struggle, and how they found healing through that. My guest today is Michelle Smith. She's a CEO of Source Financial Advisors, an RIA in New York City. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. So Michelle, she's been a she's been a financial advisor for 28 years, but for 16 years Michelle has helped hundreds of women navigate the financial maze that is divorce. She's a certified divorce financial analyst and arguably the preeminent divorce advisor in the industry. She's seen it all. She's been through conflicts, high emotions, custody battles. Her job often veers into the realm of therapy and mediation. Um, And Michelle, you know, she's perhaps even better equipped to help people through divorce because she went through one herself. On top of that, she was going through it with a special needs child. At the time of her divorce, her son, who has Down syndrome, had just been born. And so statistics around divorce are a little iffy. People often quote that half of marriages end in divorce, but that figure's a bit squishy. It's probably more around 40% or a little bit less. But according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the marriage rate for 2018 was 16.6, and the divorce rate was 7.7. That means for every 1,000 women over the age of 15 in the U.S., 16.6 of them got married during that year. So take that stat for what it's worth. But that said, divorce, as we know, hits a lot of married couples, and it's not easy. It sucks, quite frankly. Um, And the rate is even higher among couples with special needs children. And Michelle, you had that double whammy. I mean, I guess I just want to start by asking what drew you and your hus- your ex-husband together in the first place? Well, I think uh, for us in particular, you know, I was in my late 30s and, and he was uh, a few years older than me and we had both actually been married before and neither one of us had children and we both wanted children and we uh we had a lot of fun together and you know just like many couples meet socially we were in new york city single enjoying ourselves both making money both having careers and we had a lot of fun and then decided hey it's time to have kids and yeah. we did yeah and how did that you know having a child with down syndrome affect you personally how did it affect the marriage so it definitely affected them. It affected me. It affected him. It affected the marriage. I mean, you, you don't, I don't know many couples that go into marriage saying, 
hey, let's talk, you know, you might decide whether you're having an amnio or not. And certainly now my son's about to be 19. The tests are very different. But back then it was, you have a couple of uh, sonograms and there were different markers. And then you decide whether or not you have an amnio and you sort of talk about it a little there. But if your results come back, okay, you sort of let it go and think you dodged a bullet. Um, We didn't really talk about how we would both handle being special needs parents. I certainly never really even knew anybody with special needs growing up and neither did he. And we never talked about what it would be like if we had a child with special needs, would we be on the same page? Would we be okay with it? Would we, we just never talked about it. And so then when my son was born, um, you know, they came back in the room about three minutes after he was born and, and, and said, you know, we, we think he has Down syndrome. And, you know, at that moment, uh, you either flip a switch on or off. And I flipped a switch on and he flipped mm. a switch off. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, you, you know, I say this all the time. Any big crisis will bring out, look, we're, we're going through it now with COVID, right? As a backdrop, you're, it brings out the best and it brings out the worst in people. Mm. And without judging how he handled it or how, like, I'm not saying I'm so great, but for whatever reason, I immediately flipped into, okay, I've got this mode. This is what mm. it is. I, right, I have a baby. What am I going to do? But I certainly didn't feel equipped. I was petrified. In that moment, when I saw him sort of shut down, I knew in my gut my marriage was also over. So within one hour of my son being born, I was dealing with, oh my gosh, not only do I not know how to do parenting with a special needs child, I'm now not going to be married. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, what our son's birth did was escalate what I believe wouldn't have worked down the road anyway. And that happens very often. I mean, the divorce rate is very high for if you have a child with special needs and, and parents aren't on the same page a lot anyway. I mean, not ever, yeah. I don't know many couples that completely agree on what to feed, what bedtime is, all the little things that parents Absolutely. have to navigate when they go from being a romantic couple to a non-romantic parents, you you don't agree. You're not on the same page, right? We all have different upbringings. We all have different ideas of safety and bedtimes and routines. And But you add this into the mix, all bets are off. Yeah. I mean, parenting itself brings in a whole slew of changes in a marriage. You know, I mean, you're your much of your freedom is gone you know you have to think about someone else much of the time uh whereas before you're you know you kind of just focus on yourself and your and your spouse but i mean i know that you said that he was kind of a a glass half empty person and you were more of a glass half full type of person i mean talk to me about that and how that came between you guys yeah, you know, opposites do attract, right? Um, I am, I, I even say that I'm not even glass half full. I'm like, the glass is refillable. Like, I can right. refill this glass whenever I choose to. And so I'm a very, very positive person. I will make lemon meringue pie out of lemons, not just lemonade. And I clearly didn't have this on my life journey list to have a child with special needs, but he made me a better person. But 
having a, a, a partner that was definitely more um, looking for things that were going to be wrong with the day, right? That was just his orientation to his life. And I kind of dealt with it when we were dating and in the beginning of our marriage. But when it happened that our son was born and there was no room for that, in my opinion, like I was dark sometimes and it was a dark situation sometimes because our son was also born with significant health issues. Like the Down syndrome was the least of it. Mm. There was no time for negativity. There was no room. There was no vacancy at that inn for me. And I just got to the point where I couldn't, I had to do everything I could to keep myself positive and stable and grounded. And I couldn't manage the backdrop of an extra layer of glass half empty. And so for us, that's really what, what came to a pitch, a fever pitch. Yeah, and I, I know you said you disagreed on almost everything yes. about your son. And um, I yeah. mean, tell me about some of that. Like, uh, I mean, you were telling me even the circumcision, you you guys couldn't agree on that. Yeah, you know how you, you have your Which like is a huge memory? decision. Yeah. Well, it is. And I think it's a huge decision anyway. But I was watching my son go through medical procedures, surgeries, like faced with a colon surgery, a heart defect, like he was two months old when a lot of stuff was diagnosed. And I couldn't bear the thought of putting him through one more thing that might be painful. And I understand mm -hmm. people say you'll never remember, but I would remember, I would be there with my baby, I would watch him screaming. And I, I, I physically, traumatically, mentally could not handle that. And my husband wanted to and that's just what you do. And we're, and it was a screaming match. And again, when you're in that state, it, you know, everything's exacerbated, but that was like a moment when I realized there is nothing we agree on from mm. a fundamental perspective on health, on parenting, on being on the same page. Like we lost our way the minute our son was born, we lost our way, but we mm -hmm. would have lost our way anyway. We would have. Yeah. Was that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for you in the marriage? Um, that was definitely when you hear yourself screaming at the top of your lungs and your child is about 20 yards away from you in your mother's arms and your mother has to walk outside with your baby because you're screaming so loud. I went, oh my this is now me. I can control mm. this, but I didn't feel like I could control it with him in that relationship. And I knew that was just going to keep happening. And so I did make a decision inside at that moment that this was over. But I think both of us had this recognition that even from just being able to sleep at night, we had to stay together for a period of time to get our son through his health issues. But it was it was marked time at best. But yeah. that was a moment. That was my moment when I realized that my reaction was my responsibility. And mm. I didn't believe that the dynamic was going to change enough for me to be able to stop reacting like that. I'm not Mother Teresa. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the actual divorce experience, the process, um, you know, separation of assets and custody. I mean, obviously you have that specialty, so you kind of, you know, I'm sure that helped you a little bit through the 
the process, but tell us about how it went down. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, I knew, you know, what was going to happen. I knew that there were certain challenges, right? When you have a special needs child in New York and in many states, you can't compel support of your child past emancipation. In New York's case, you know, 21, 22 years old. And I know, I knew, I do know, I still know, my son is going to have lifelong needs. You know, I, I call it the equivalent of a college education a year needs to be funded for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, and so I knew how this was, I know the process. I knew how it was going to pan out. Um, it actually, while it added a layer of simplicity, it did add a layer temporarily of complexity emotionally because my husband knew I had this specialty. And the first couple lawyers he called wouldn't take him as a client, even though it wasn't going to be any big litigated anything. We were going to get through it together, but they knew me they hire me, they worked with me, and he started to feel like the deck was stacked against him until I was able mm. to step back and say, listen, there's nothing here that we can't work through legally. Like there's so many assets and you came into the marriage with this, I came into the marriage with this, we walk away with that. But we had this complication of, you know, I bought a house right before I met him. Um, mm. You know, he put some of his money in the house to upgrade the house um, when our son was born. And it happens to be in a community that I grew up in and my family and my friends are all up here. So that became a big emotional slash financial issue as many things in divorce do. So even as an expert in the field, I had to actually start giving myself the advice I give my clients, which was take a step back, put your emotions on a shelf, deal with your therapist with how you feel about it and how do I get through this thorny issue in a way that is the best outcome for me and my son. And so we 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 did it. We got through it. Um and definitely my specialty helped me and after you know my ex realized that you know he did get a lawyer and his lawyer said, "Look, everything she's telling you is exactly how this would pan out. There's nothing that's being pulled here. Uh, he felt more comfortable and we were able to do it quickly as a result with two very good lawyers who, who knew, um, let's not make this worse. They have enough to deal with, with this marriage sure. ending and their son's issues. Yeah. Sure. Um, that seems like a very mature way of going about it. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what was hard was the co-parenting um, mm. because we were already so on different pages now it was going to be different pages and I wasn't going to be able to have control of my son's daily life every other weekend. And that, you know, I think most parents will tell you like that first weekend that your child leaves. It's one mm. thing if you're still married and you go away for a girl weekend. You can't wait for that door sure. to shut on Friday. You're of like, course. you're pumped. Yeah. You're like, whatever, just don't kill the kid. Right. You know, to, to really like just feed him and don't kill him. But the first weekend, you have to do it because now you're divorced and you agreed to this. And of course, the child needs to be with both parents that most parents will tell you that's gut wrenching. You know, I remember shutting his door because I didn't want to even see his cute little empty room. And mm -hmm. I was scared. I was scared because I wasn't around to, you know, in my perspective, you know, monitor things. And, you know, I think every parent thinks they're, thinks they're a better parent at certain times. And I was like, well, I'm the better parent. And, but what can I do? I was, I chose to get divorced. I chose to have mm -hmm. a baby with this man. And you have to respect that the child 
in most cases needs a relationship with both parents. And but it was hard. We 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 you know what was hard when we were together was harder when we mm. were apart with co-parenting a special needs child. Mm. Still how hard. You, yeah, I mean, how did you overcome raising him? you know, during the times you were by yourself. I mean, and um, I know you, you always said it was difficult to, for you to ask for help from other people. Yeah, I, I was not good at asking. First, you know, I, first of all, I, I was really definitely um, scared of even showing people in the beginning that I couldn't handle it, right? So I had this initial reaction of, I've got this. I've got mm -hmm. this. I'm good. Like I didn't want anybody to see that I was freaking out or scared or sad or upset. And I don't know, it was just all so blurry. And I just didn't want sympathy, right? What happens often when you have a child with special needs is people think that they're being really kind and caring, but they kind of pat you on the shoulder and look at you and say, I'm so sorry. And you're like, mm. I just had a baby. Like, don't be sorry. Maybe you can't even imagine how this would make you feel. And I get it. I was just there. But to hear the pity and to mm. see that face, that that was, I was like, I don't want this. I don't want sympathy. I want compassion and support, but I don't want sympathy. But what I did when I started getting that reaction over and over, I think I sort of painted everyone with that brush. So I really kept myself away from people for a while. I just was like, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody over here. I don't want them seeing my marriage is in bad shape. Like I just isolated. And thank God I have an amazing mother an amazing mm -hmm. family. I've had the same caretaker for my son since he was practically born. She is still with us. We've never had a second nanny. I mean, in New York that's City, incredible. like I think I should get a gold medal for that, right? Yes. Like yeah. that doesn't, you don't hear about that. Sometimes it's a nanny a month. And so I am very lucky in mm. that my caretaker Nadine is like his second mother. My mom is amazing. I have a great brother. I have a great circle of friends. And when I finally could relax into letting that village be there for me. I mean, I never had a problem asking my mom for help, right? And she never even needed to be asked. She sensed what needed to be done, thankfully. But not everybody else. I was too scared of their judgment and reaction and all those things that we let ourselves, you know, prevent getting help. I, that was my own journey of recognizing that um, I've gotten really good at being specific with what I need now. You know, I, I've been the person in my life that's always wanted to be there for people. And I used to say things like, tell me what you need. Well, sometimes you can't tell someone what you need or you don't want to. You sort of want them to figure it out. I've gotten mm -hmm. really good at saying, you know, it would be really helpful. I need a night out. Would you mind coming over between seven and 10? He'll be fed. Nadine will be leaving. My mom will be here. But like, I've gotten really good at saying what I need. And I wasn't doing that for a lot of years. And if that is one thing, I mean, the earlier we get mm -hmm. that, the better our lives will be. People want to be there for you, especially people that love you. But they can't be there for you if you're isolating, if you're pretending you've got it, and if you're not asking. I mean, you're not going to get help. So really being specific and kind of looking at your network of people and saying, hey, okay, 
this person probably would be better to be able to help me a couple of nights. This person may be on a Saturday so I can go out if we can ever get pedicures again. Um, (laughs) You know, this this is what I've learned, that you have a village around you that you can tap into, but only if you want to. You're willing to be vulnerable and you're willing to be specific. Most people want to help. Yeah. And I know one of the challenges that uh, comes with raising a special needs child is getting them the proper education and, you know, community resources. I mean, and, and most places, it's just really hard to find. And most places just don't have the resources that uh, and funding for, th- for these children. And how did you overcome that, that big challenge? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was I was watching on television this morning. Um, I don't know if you saw the book that came out from the first blind, deaf woman that graduated Harvard Law. And she said something so poignant this morning. And she said, it's not me that needs to get, get over my quote unquote condition. It's society. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I felt when my son was in the preschool environment in New York City. The preschool environment was lovely. It was inclusive and they would mm. do whatever they needed to do. Like I had a one-on-one teacher with my son at preschool. He was with mm. typically developing kids and it was a lovely experience, right? Kids kids at that age aren't really judgy yet. And the teachers right. were wonderful. And so I had this very naive belief that, okay, when it's time for kindergarten, I'm just going to have all those options too. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I I realized very quickly that in this city of supposed diversity, that that didn't include ability. That was mind blowing. I actually had even a couple public school principals tell me they didn't take that kind. I was like, hmm. I'm pretty sure you might have just broke a disabilities law with that statement, but whatever. And fortunately, at the time, there were two other families that I had come to know because when you have a child with special needs, you sort of get plugged into what can be a wonderful community and people that would be my friends, even if our kids didn't share an extra chromosome. And we looked at each other one day and they were experienced the same exact thing, even though their kids were one year, you know, one year older. And we looked at each other and said, let's start a school. And we kind of knew it wasn't a joke, but we just did it. And we started a school. And 16 years later, here it is in New York City, the ideal school of Manhattan, K through 12, over 200 kids. You know, we own a building on the Upper West Side. We're renting space for the middle and upper school. We've added a transition program. So now my son, who graduated last month, can stay there till age 21 sort of like I was figuring my life with him out every day, one day at a time. We've sort of done what, done that with the school where we just lined up behind this vision and mission of inclusion. It's the mm. only inclusion school in New York City. And, you know, we had a lot of wonderful people. Our My other founding family that they've turned out to be like best friends of mine were unbelievable funders and fundraisers for the school. And we raised a ton of money and continue to. And it's a beautiful, inclusive environment. So uh, yeah, here I was. <laughs> and I was in the middle of my divorce when we started that school. That was fun. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. I have to give it to you for for doing that. And and congratulations to your son for graduating recently. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was quite it, emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a journey for you. Well, tell me about how your personal experience with divorce 
has kind of shaped who you are today and your specialization? Yeah. A few years ago, somebody asked me, and I don't know why it hit me then, but it did, you know, how did you get into this specialty? And people have asked me that all the time. And for years I was saying, well, it just happens to be a great intersection of my skill set. You know, I'm very comfortable with conflict. I'll talk about why in a minute. I'm very comfortable. I can get right to the heart of the matter. I see things very intuitively. I kind of get under the surface quickly and understand what's going on and can easily see a path when other people can't because they're emotional. And I happen to be, you know, good with numbers because I was a financial advisor and I saw that there was really a gap in the landscape 16 years ago that a lot of the experts in divorce at that time were really CPAs that were business valuation experts. Some of them didn't even really do tax returns. They were qualified CPAs, but in this narrow lens of divorce. And I didn't see any like personal financial experts involved. And I was like, why is that? Like, why are there no personal finite? Like, this is all about helping you decide what you need, what you need to move forward with, what assets should be split, how. And, and I really thought it was just all of these technical reasons that I was good at. And I was, you know, I always say, I, when people say, find your passion, sometimes that's too lofty. I always say, follow your energy. And my energy just kept getting aligned with um, being an advisor to divorcing couples and helping women who had never dealt with their money gain control of it and become their own CFO. Um, but mm. when somebody asked me a couple years ago, I started to tell my story of how in the 50s, my great-grandmother, who was from Italy, literally off the boat, divorced her husband because he was abusive and mm. figured out how to support herself by buying a sewing machine and being a seamstress. And mm. I was very close to my Italian family and... um you know, my parents got divorced when I was three months old. And then uh, I was three years old. My brother was six months old. And so obviously that shaped me. I did not have a, a relationship with my father until I was about 18. And then wow. from 18 until the time he died three years ago, it was very touch and go. I mean, you know, he abandoned us. And sure. it was hard for me to ever reconcile with that and, you know, was loaded, right? My whole life. But so I grew up without my biological father. My mom got remarried when I was about seven or eight and didn't have a great relationship with my stepfather. So clearly going through a divorce twice as a child, growing up with this divorce story from my great grandmother, she really never really got over it, you know, even though it was her choice. And she went through a lot. That was a lot. And she had to protect and raise her family. And so it's been in my life, obviously. And it hit me when somebody asked me a couple years ago, I was telling my story. I was like, duh. Well, of course I'm specializing in divorce. Like I want to help people through this. It is a life crisis that can take you down right? It cuts your balance sheet in half. It cuts your mental capacity in half for the time you're in it. You are like a different person. And mm. while it ends up being a life moment that you can really be a better person and get to the other side of it differently and recreate yourself, it's 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 tough. And so- It sucks, right? You know, growing up with this all of- Yeah, it sucks. And growing up with this all around me- um, Clearly, it's just in every fiber of my being. And so, you know, I'm in the lane I should be in. Um, and I'm not uncomfortable with 
couples in conflict. Um, it's not easy. You, you know, you have to, if you want to do this, you have to be comfortable with really high emotion and logic goes out the window when you need it the most. Yeah. I guess I'm just wondering if you have any advice for people going through divorce, um, you know, how to get through it, how to um, find healing. Yeah, you find healing from getting through it in a civil way, mm. where especially if you're parents, you got to realize that you're not getting rid of this other person. You mm. are not. It, nine out of 10 times, they're going to be around, right? So I always say, it's interesting, we, we embark on really big journeys. Even we embark on vacation planning with goals. You know kind of what kind of vacation you want, you know about how much money you want to spend. You know the kind of vibe and feeling you want. You've got your like priorities of your vacations, right? We all do. And many things in life we set out on a diet with, I want to lose 20 pounds. And, you know, are you willing to give up alcohol? Or are you willing to give up food? Or do you need to give up both? We don't approach divorces with goals. And I try mm. to tell people, you know, let's get you both to articulate your goals. And typically, the kids being okay is in the top three, if not the mm. top for both people. The second is often some variation of the theme that I want to be financially stable and okay at the end of this. I don't want mm. my lifestyle blown up any more than it needs to be. And I want to come out of this okay. That's typically in the top two to three goals. So if you can articulate that and work with financial people in the process and lawyers who, you know, we've got to understand your goals. And when things get rough, going back to shared goals often helps when mm. there's like a deadlock on something, right? When you're just so rooted, you have to bring yourself back to, well, if both of you need to feel financially secure, then that can be a North Star for asset settlements or spousal support or child support, right? How do we make sure you both walk out of this as stable as possible? And that means being open-minded to what stability looks like for the other. It can't just be about you. You have to do this in a way that leaves you both with stability. And of course, factoring in things like often women give up their careers or don't even start one. And, you know, if he can walk away and still make a million dollars a year and you can't, well, that needs to be factored in too. How do we make both of you stable, at least for the period of time where your children are not emancipated? So my advice is settle your, settle your, settle your souls and your minds down and think mm -hmm. about what your goals are. And then there are different ways to divorce. You don't have to run to litigation. You And in fact, now it's really hard because the courts were closed and they're hearing emergencies now and it's going to be a while to get a trial date. So, you know, you got to consider mediation and collaborative divorce and things where you can be at the table together. It is not unsafe to mediate as long as you surround yourself in mediation with the mm -hmm. proper financial people and the right lawyers, you can mediate. And there are ways to get through this process where you're protected, it's fair, 
it's equitable, and it's civil. You've got to be parents together. And even if you don't have children, why then do you want to waste your money on litigating when you can get out of this in a way that is protective, legal, and civil? Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I I know that a lot of folks are talking about at the end of this uh, COVID-19 and quarantine period, they believe a lot of people are going to seek divorce. Are you hearing that um, at all? Do you think that the the divorce rate will spike up? You know, I I don't like being in the prediction business. It (laughs) typically fails half the time. Yeah, sure. I I don't like going into something where I know I have a 50-50 chance of being wrong. I I don't know. I have to Mm. tell you, there's my gut, my, my professional instinctive gut is, yes, there's a layer of COVID over this and that maybe things were put on pause because maybe you needed to live together in your summer house, right? Maybe you both wanted to get out of the city and- Maybe. But in the summer, you typically see a little bit of a lull. People have their summers. And then right after the summer, I experience a spike usually. The Mm. spike could be sharper this year because not only will we have the typical, okay, summer's over, you know, especially if schools open up, we're back to our normal lives. Okay, let's get this thing done by the end of the year or let's get it rolling. Like that's typical. But I do believe that this extra layer of the deferring of being able to do much with the process because courts Mm. were closed. And again, you don't have to do it with court, but there was a complete shutdown for a month Mm. of mentally as well. Like, And remember, we had the market avalanche. So it wasn't just COVID. It was, oh my gosh, the stock portion of your account went down 30% in four weeks. So your mm-hmm. net worth got hammered. Maybe your business slowed. It was all of these things with COVID that put everything sort of on this, like in this divorce coma for a while. We're starting to see activity again, but I I, I do believe there's a little pent up stuff from COVID, but it is mm-hmm. typical in the fall, divorces get active again because the summer's over. That makes sense. Well, we're just about out of time. I mean, I wish I could talk to you all day about your experiences, Michelle. Um, I'd like to thank you, uh, Michelle, for being on the show and just especially for just being so open about what you went through. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to reach out to Michelle or if you have any questions for her, you can email her at msmith at sourcefa.com. And that will be in the show notes below. And if you yourself have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there is healing there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.